Well, if you're here visiting, uh, welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. This is a time we take open God's Word and see what He has to say for us. We've been going through the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. It begins by a series of blessed are you if, blessed are you if. And typically the way we're wired is, okay, if I just do those things, I'll be a Christian. If I do this, I do this, I do this. And that's typically the way the entire world approaches religion. What you do, what you do, do this, do this, do this, do this. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, were champions of this ideology. You know, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be pleasing to God. But the key word is not do, it is what? Done. Done. Nothing you do is what is done for you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day, conquering sin and death, and he offers to you the gift of eternal life. And what do you have to do? Believe. Receive. Just call on him. Say, Lord, yes, thank you. I accept what you've done. And so those beatitudes are really what happens once he's changed your heart. This is what will happen. This is not a list of things to do. This is what you become when Jesus changes your heart. Now, It's not perfect because we still live in a fallen body and a fallen world. But this is the difference that we make. And his his entire sermon rattles the traditional theology of the day, the way they had twisted that. And Jesus will make some more startling statements. So if you take your Bibles and turn to chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus was known for making radical statements. And two of them we're going to talk about this this Sunday and next Sunday. The first one is this, turn the other cheek. (laughs) The second one, love your enemies. And what's happened is, if you just read it and say, I think I know what that means, a lot of people will misunderstand what he's saying. And they misapply it. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done, is misunderstand and misapply Old Testament law. Or what the the Bible said in the Old Testament. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. And we'll look at, turn the other cheek, uh, this text and what it means and uh, what what he's communicating. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and turn the other cheek. 
Which one? Which one is right? <laughs> because that's a whole, two different ways of approaching something. If someone comes up and I have a conflict with, and we do have conflicts in this life, I'm going to love that eye for an eye one. <laughs> but turning the other cheek, do I just keep on doing that? Am I a doormat? Do I let people walk all over me? Is this a change of the entire Bible? Has Jesus switched on us? Is he promoting pacifism? What is he saying? What is the meaning? Well, this statement, an eye for an eye, is right out of the Old Testament. We find it in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy chapter 19. We even find it in secular writings of the time, Hammurabi's Code. Have you heard of that before? The stone tablet with the, the code of a civil code has those exact words. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. So that dates back even to the 18th century B.C. Now remember what Jesus said. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, I'm not coming to wipe away everything that was said in the Old Testament and present an entirely new religion. I think a lot of people would like to think that. We're all about law, we're all about justice, an eye for an eye. And in the Old Testament, we have an angry God. In the New Testament, well, just keep on turning that cheek. <laughs> we have a loving, forgiving God. He's very different. But that's not what Jesus says. What is the law? When you think of the law, we use that word a lot. But when it comes to the Scripture, what I think of when I think of the law is all of God's Word. All of God's Word is the law. Everything God has ever said is the law. And there are many places that you'll read throughout the Scriptures that that, that word is used to describe all of God's revelation. Psalm 19 and verses 7 to 10, this is one of my favorite psalms. And it begins, that's kind of small print, um, if you can read this, but it, it begins by the instruction of the Lord, or literally the law of the Lord. Listen, to, listen as I read this. The law of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Now, that's all of those words, instruction, law. He talks about being the uh, precepts of God, the commands of God, all of his words. They are life-giving, transforming. They are the joy of our lives. They're like honey that you eat. It's God's word. That's his law. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 3 and verses 16 and 17, these two, this passage is also one of my favorites. And I want to read this in the New Living Translation. 
because it just really conveys the ideas of what is being said. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All, all Scripture is the breath of God. It is all true, and it helps us to realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the law, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's God's word. It's the law. But as referred to by Jesus when he talks about the law in the minds of his listeners, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, the, the Essenes, the religious zealots uh, of his time, and the, and the common people, including his disciples. When you speak about the law, they're going to think about the Ten Commandments. We, uh, you know, we still see those posted in various places, and that is, that is the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. There's also what we call the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law is what you read when you get to Leviticus. When they're taking all of these animals and they're sacrificing, you say, what in the world is all this about? <laughs> the moral law shows us our need for Christ, that we're sinners. The ceremonial law is going to show us we need redemption. We, we need to have our sins cleansed. The, and all of the ceremonial law, all those uh, religious rituals were designed to show how does an unholy person come before a holy God? And you can't unless there's an atoning sacrifice. And so all of those animals sacrificed in the Old Testament were a temporary atonement for a person to come to worship God. And Jesus was the final sacrifice and complete and absolute substitute is when he was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. And those words meant that it's done. That is the last sacrifice that needs to be made. But all of those ceremonial laws were necessary laws and instructions to help a person know how an unholy person comes to have a relationship with the holy God. It's beautiful how that, that law works. So you have the moral law, the ceremonial law, and then we also read about the civil law. And the civil law would be where these words come from, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There were laws in the land. And these were for civil crimes. And if you go through the Old Testament, it's, it's like it, they, God details every possibility. Okay, if someone dies... And this was not premeditated. Then this is how you resolve this with justice. So these these civil laws were called the in, in Latin were called lex talionis, or tit for tat. They the design was that when there was a violation or a crime, there would be justice. And remember this: that God is just and holy. Old Testament and New Testament. He's not different. But in, in our governing, we, how, do we ha how do we have justice? Now, I, I think you could say America is in a bit of chaos right now. 
when it comes to all this. But we, we long to have justice, uh, preferably with other people, not so much ourselves, but uh, we long to have justice. We want justice. But what he is saying is, an eye for an eye, is if someone gouges out your eye, then they should lose their eye. Now, a lot of what he's saying is metaphoric. Like when he talked before, if, you, if you're lusting with your eye, gouge out your, better to gouge out your eye. Or, or if you're sinning with your hand, better to cut off your hand. He's speaking in hyperbole, in other words, exaggeration, to make a point, And he's using metaphor to describe a point. So we don't want to miss that part of it. But what he's saying is, you can't, because someone did something to you and you lost an eye, you don't get to go and blow their whole family apart. There's a cap on this. And, it, and it's really to protect society from people taking the law into their own hands and doing in an excess what they feel they should do. So this is the lex talionis, the tit for tat. I also thought another Latin word, never heard of this before, quid pro quo. <laughs> I thought, isn't that, is it buried away in my little commentary, and thought, this for that. But we will not digress on that. There, there, is a, there is a cap for protection. So, so this is civil in its matter. And Jesus, here's the point that Jesus is making. Is this, is this a promotion now to, uh, when, he, when he goes on to say, turn the other cheek for pacifism? No. Is it, is it that God wants us to just go out and get even with everybody that's offended us? He's not saying that. But he's saying there is a difference between a civil crime and a personal offense. There is a difference between a civil crime and a personal offense. And what the Pharisees were doing to abuse this system is they were using the instructions for civil crimes, in other words, an eye for an eye, to give payback to everybody that bothered them. And so they took vengeance and justice into their own hands and started punishing people that they didn't like. It was a complete abuse of the system. You say, well, this love stuff, that's only New Testament. Actually, you know what um, what it says to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? That's the greatest commandment. That's what Jesus said. Does it say in the Old Testament to love your neighbor as yourself? Does it? Where? Okay. It does. It says it's in Leviticus 19.18. Listen to this. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when Jesus quoted that statement, they both came from the Old Testament. In other words, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You remember the conversation, we'll talk about this next week, is then they said, well, who is my neighbor? (laughs) They probably shouldn't have asked that because they probably didn't want to hear what he was going to say. But this is is amazing to me that what, what he is saying is when we have laws in the land and they need to be carried out, 
You'll find even that, that we get into the New Testament, into Romans chapter 13, that God has instituted government to be agents to protect our society. Those are civil laws. And these civil laws are ordained of God. But how you handle a personal offense is different. It's different. And he is, he is of course, confronting the abuses that have been taking place. So what's, what's the application? Don't carry it too far in civil law. So and we have these arguments all the time. Does the punishment fit the crime? Don't miss the principle that all through the Sermon on the Mount, he's going for the heart. He's going for the heart. The Pharisees would much rather deal with externals, image, performance, because that's what they've become masters of how they look and what they do. But Jesus is going to the heart, and he's, he's focusing on how their hearts have been corrupted by wanting to get even, to have payback, and not have love for others. Because even when we step into next week, loving your enemies sounds pretty impossible. It sounds pretty impossible. But that's exactly what Jesus did for you. Just remember that. So we are a civilization, a society of rights. We have certain inalienable rights. And we tend to focus much more on our rights than we do on our responsibilities. Jesus is focusing on responsibilities. We do have rights in our civil law, but as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, he wants you to live a certain way. And it is counter to the culture that we live in. So I think we keep the big picture of eternity. And, you know, it, it typically, when people get away with something, it really bugs us, doesn't it? And we, we just want everybody to know the truth, and we want justice. So here's the comforting thing. Here's what the Lord said. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Can I tell you something? No one gets away with anything with God. Every sin will be judged. Every sin ever committed on this earth will be judged. One of two places. Either you're going to take it on the chin for what you did, or you're going to allow Jesus to take it on the cross on your behalf. But every sin will be punished. And if it weren't for Jesus, <laughs> stepping in my place, stepping in your place, taking the penalty of all of our sin, we would have no hope no happiness, no joy. So when you see people out in society who seem to be getting away with something, they're not getting away with anything. 
No one gets away with anything. So relax. God's got it under control. It used to bother me. How is it that someone like, you think of what's the worst person in the last century? Uh, Hitler, yeah. <laughs> right going there. You think, you think Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Responsible for killing almost, what, 40, 50 million people? And probably others. And then, how'd he die? He took his own life. You hear about these shootings? Someone goes in and shoots all these students, and then police come and they take their own life. And and to be honest with you, sometimes I think, where is the justice? Where where you know we need because if you left it up to us, <laughs> you know, we figure out a way to make them really suffer, and there really be no end to it. And you think, where is the justice? Well, God is aware of all of that. And Adolf Hitler is the same, and it's hard to imagine this, or any murderer or any sinner is either going to die for their sins and pay an eternal separation from God in hell, or they're going to receive the free gift of eternal life and allow Jesus to have taken the punishment for them on the cross. Justice will be served. Now, for a lot of us, it would be hard for us to even find a place in our hearts to forgive certain people. That's what's amazing about the love of God. But God's justice is sure, and we can count on that. But we take, we take comfort in the fact that nothing will slide with God. No, no one gets away with anything. What, what seems to be, how can people lie? How can people get away with these things? How can people do such evil and get away with it? But they don't. He says, but I am telling you, don't resist an evildoer. And when it says don't resist, in other words, don't stand up against, don't stand up against someone who is an evildoer. Now, this is, this is not speaking of the civil part of this. And I think we separate this in our minds because if someone commits a civil crime against you, there's nothing wrong with going to court. To me, it's not a great thing when you sue someone, but that's part of our legal system. Like someone said, a Christian should never sue. I don't believe that. I, I believe that we have certain protections that we have in our government. And I skip a long debate on this. It's particularly awkward when it's another Christian that you can't get things resolved with. But when someone has broken the law, they have to stand and give an account for this. This is not, he is not talking about civil disobedience or breaking the law. He is talking about when someone offends you, someone hurts you personally. This isn't in the, that other realm. And so he says, don't stand up against that person. And then he gives us four illustrations of this. And we read those. He talks about, uh, at the beginning, someone slapping you on the right cheek. He talks about uh, someone wants to sue you and take your shirt. He talks about uh, anyone who forces you to go a mile. And then the fourth one is, uh, he says, give to the one who asks of you. You know, when I went through these four this week, 
it brought up a lot of stuff in my mind, my personal walk. And, you know, when you've lived life for a while, you, you, you go through stuff. You go through pain, and you get hurt by people. And Jesus is helping us work through this, how we respond to it. And, and I think you'll probably identify with some of these as well. The first one, when he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, he says, turn the other to him also. So what does he mean by that? If someone slaps you on the right cheek. Now, if I were to have Jason, you've been wanting to slap me all day, haven't you? No. Yep. Okay. Now, he can't, he can't slap me with his left hand, but okay, now, He's speaking about with your right hand. Now do it in slow motion so you don't knock me out before I finish my message. And slap me. No, no, I didn't finish yet. You need to, which cheek does he slap me on? What does it say in the Bible? Remember the scripture is authoritative. (laughs) He slapped me on the right cheek. What's that called? It's a backhanded slap. And in that culture, it was the most insulting and undignifying thing you could do, most, most unkind and demeaning thing you could do to a person. So the right hand, you know what talks about your right eye, your right hand? There's a culture that always talks about that. You've you got to follow up on that. You again? No, 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 okay, you can sit down. Okay. We're not going to finish this. All right. All right. Now, he, he goes on to talk to the left. And, and like any, any type of illustration... You know, you can tend to want to carry it too far and say, well, this means this and this means... Most parables and most illustrations, metaphors like this, there's a simple point. There's a simple point. And the Jewish people would understand this to be something that a person did or said to you that attacked or insulted your dignity as a person. They, they devalued you as a person. Has that ever happened to you? Well, I'm sure it has. So what happens? They didn't break the law. This wasn't like someone assault and battery that you're going to get arrested for. What they did to you was, was they did something so painful and so hurtful, they devalued you as a person. And there's incredible pain that takes place in your life. And yes, this happens with Christians too, <laughs> by the way. The greatest pain in my life, to be honest with you, has not come at the hands of unbelievers. It's been with Christians who were called brother or sister. So that's his first point. People who, who say or do things that insult your sense of identity, of worth, of value, as a person. Secondly, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Of course, when you see from the Bible story books, they dressed differently in those days <laughs> than we do today. Typically, when you'd see someone, they'd have the outer garment, their coat, which you could not sue for. You couldn't sue a person that was part of their tradition. You could sue them for their shirt, their inner garment. 
And what that would be doing would be leveraging some kind of sway on a person and taking advantage of them in a way that, that significantly inconveniences them. You, and I, I like the word leverage. You leverage them. And it is an attack on their personal security. In fact, in this text, when it, when it talks about this, it, it's speaking of how you leave your shirt or leave a coat. Um, you, could, you could leave a coat for security, but only till sundown, and then you get it back. I know that's probably too much information, but um, it's part of what I realized that there, there are specific laws on this. But you're, you're asking something of someone. You're moving into their life uh, to ask for a security deposit for something or something from them that really encroaches on their lives. The third, in Matthew 5.41, it says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. I say, well, when do I end doing that? <laughs> when you just keep on going? And this is um, interesting in the culture that since Roman, uh, the Roman army uh, dominated all over Israel, there was a law that a Roman soldier could be walking by and said, say, hey, you, come here, help me, carry this load for me. They could do that. And, uh, but there was a limit, one mile. But they could do that. They could do it one mile. So it's kind of like your, your own Pony Express. So soldiers would say, okay, you help me this mile, you help me this mile, you help me this mile. And you have, have Jews who, who've got plans that day, they've got things on their schedule, and all of a sudden someone who they don't even like, who, whose country is, is ruining their country, is forcing them to change their entire schedule to accommodate them. And it takes away their freedom. And he says, they ask you to go a mile, go two. And then finally, in verse 42, it says, give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Early documents called the Didache, which is the teaching of the 12, would say, basically, let your, let your money or your donation sweat in your hand. Let your donation sweat in your hand. And the meaning of that was, this isn't that you just randomly, you know, anybody that comes and says, hey, I need money, I need money, you just start, you know, pretty soon you have nothing left. Remember that this teaching isn't a contradiction to everything else that is said about stewardship, about wisdom, about how you handle your money. But he's saying that you... You hold in that sweaty palm, looking and thinking and praying and discerning, where might I give to someone who has a need? And so when I think of these, how is it that I could live a day and go through all four of these and not be crazy <laughs> with just wanting revenge? Wanting payback, wanting to get even. And the more I go through them, the more stories I can think of, just not just what I've seen, but what I've experienced in my own life. And as I walk back through these, I think, okay, where is my dignity? 
Is that, is that established by other people or by God? I made reference to this, I think, last week. I am who you say I am. The song was saying, I am who you say I am. My value is that God created me in his image. My value is in that God loved me and sent his son to die for me on the cross and to offer me eternal life. My value is that I am a child of God. That's who I am. That's not who I think I am, and that's not how you made me feel. <laughs> but if I digress into, okay, you, you said those things to me, and you disrespected me. I'm going to disrespect you. Now we're into this downward spiral that the whole rest of the world functions in. We don't need to live that way. If you devalue me, you backhand me, I'll turn the other cheek and backhand me again. It does not change how I view myself before God. You are not going to force me to live the way you live. I'm not going to live that way. Jesus didn't do that. So we're not going to trade insults. Secondly, if someone uses leverage on me, he says, you give them your shirt, give them their, your coat also. This is not saying you just give away everything without thought. But you're not clutching these, your security. You know, a security deposit. You're not, clutching, you're not clutching these things in a panic. We don't need to live that way. Because my security... Rest in God, not in my bank account, not in my savings, not in my social status, not in my home. My security is in God. And so if you inconvenience me, the same way with the uh, attack on my personal liberty, a soldier may come, I may start off my day, <laughs> say, man, I got a lot to do. You ever had, I got a lot to do today? I said, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm trying to hide from these Roman soldiers. Hey, you! you got to do it. Tell you what, I'll do the second mile with you. Instead of just getting all bitter and wound up and angry inside of the injustice, and imagine in my mind, I could just run a knife through this guy. I could just kill him. It's to realize that my joy and my peace and... All those things that come with knowing Christ will make a difference. In, it can make a difference in this person's life, that soldier's life. It's counterculture. It's different. It's unique. You say, but hey, dude, I got stuff to do today. Well, think about this. You think God knows about that? Do you think God knew that that soldier is going to conscript you to go a mile and then you're going to go? Do you think God knows about that? You know, he's not up in heaven going, oh man, I had so many plans for you today. This soldier's messing it all up. No, God's at complete peace watching this happen because he is working a far greater and more eternal work in that man's soul, which is probably a hundred times more important than what you had to get done that day. We tend to be very self-focused. 
God's doing many things and many lives all around us. And so realize that God, over all the stuff that's happening, that's inconveniencing me, frustrating me, cutting me off in line, making my life angry and vengeful, it's all part of what God's doing in another person's soul. That's something to think about. Do you remember the story of a man carrying a cross and he couldn't carry it any longer? And the soldier conscripted a Jew to carry it. Remember that man's name? Simon. Simon the Cyrene. Same, the same law here. And just as as Simon was carrying that cross for his Lord, God may have you carry a cross in your life. That on the surface you just think, I just can't believe, I just can't believe this. It makes me so mad. I'm so frustrated. Everything's blocked. Everything's gone wrong. This isn't right. I want justice. And we're missing the whole point. We're missing the whole point. To be able to give with discernment. I'm not saying that everyone that holds their hand out, you put something in because that, the, the teaching here is not that, but you, you do it wisely, but you're generous. Why can, a, why can a Christian be generous? You think, well, number one, our Heavenly Father owns it all. We are His children. We are joint heirs with Christ. And nothing you see on this earth is going to last anyway. He is creating a new heavens and a new earth, and we will reign with him forever. Okay, remember that. So when you're, when you're clutching that quarter, when you're clutching that bill, when you're clutching that wealth, just remember, God can use those temporal things to accomplish eternal good. And that's what Jesus did. The temporal things that we have and hold will accomplish eternal good. Now, Jesus was not a wimp. (laughs) He was not someone who turned away from justice. Do you remember the story twice we read about him walking into the temple? And flipping tables? I mean, sounds like a man's man to me. He's flipping tables and driving these money changers out of the temple. And you know what? He got, he got his ire up a bit too when people were taking advantage of widows and orphans or blocking people's faith. So he is a just Christ. But these things were not, were not personal. When they were dragging him off and falsely accusing him and beating him and whipping him and buffeting him and mocking him in this way, what did he say? He opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. Because that's personal. Of course, it's also against God. Do you know on the on the cross, we read there they're actually recorded in the gospel seven statements that he made. One of those was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
That was his prayer to his father. That's just pretty amazing, isn't it? But does that, when he prayed that, does that mean everybody goes to heaven? No, it doesn't. Because unless they believe upon Jesus, there is no heaven. He's just. He's holy. So he fulfills all justice. This is what the beauty, what these two things come together. No, no place in all of history more beautifully than they do on the cross. That God is a holy, righteous, just God who does not let any evil slide. And he is also a loving, compassionate God who sent his son. And because of Jesus, those two truths are woven together. They're the only way it can happen is Jesus in dying on the cross fulfills the just demands of his Father, but he also expresses the love of his Father. That's the God we serve. You know, I, I, I try to think of some practical illustration um, of how we deal with the, the civil part of this, an eye for an eye, because I still feel like that's, that's just, and the personal side of it. But when I was at the college, um, I, I was really close to a lot of the students. I mean, they, they were, I love being around college students. But there were, once in a while, I know this is hard to believe, but once in a while, college students do stupid stuff. And sometimes they do illegal stuff, criminal stuff. And, I, and there were more than once that I would have some guys, I can't remember even girls doing it, but it was usually the guys, they'd be in my office. And I know they're dads. I know they're bombs. I, you know what I mean? And they broke the law. And they got busted by the law. And they're going to be expelled from school. I mean, it's, it's in our, we have to. What they did was illegal. Um, and I'm not going to cover for them. I'm not going to, I mean, the, the justice will be served. Now, I will help them get their life back where it needs to be. So, forgiven, absolutely. Immediately, forgiven. <laughs> Loved, absolutely. I'm there for you. I'll be at court. I'll have your back. I'm going to help you get your feet back in the right path. And you know what? Your life is not over. Okay? You're going to learn something from this. And then next year, I want you back here. And let's finish. <laughs> so we don't ignore civil law. We let it take, run its course. I think that in, in Romans 12, and I'll, I'll conclude with this because I think it's just really helpful to show how Christians live a counterculture. We still live within the framework of civil law. We still enjoy what civil law helps provide in protecting you and me. We, we exercise those things. But on a personal level, this is how I function. Romans 12, 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Isn't that what we want to do? You did me, I'm going to do you. Tit for tat. I'm going to get even. That's the way our flesh is wired. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, 
leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, when you go in to take care of business yourself, you just mess it up (laughs) because God's vengeance is pure. Yours is not. When you take matters into your own hands as a vigilante, I'm going to go, I'm going to go settle this myself. You get in the way of the eternal work that God is doing. And if you hate that person and want revenge and want to see them pay and hurt, you're corrupted even to the inner core of your being. But if your enemy is hungry, this is, this is the counterculture. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Now, that's a quote from Proverbs. You can imagine that, and I know I've got to be careful. So, yeah, Lord, but more coals and more coals. But it's basically saying we use the term kill them with kindness. And it says, the last verse here, verse 21, do not be conquered by evil. I like the way the old King James says it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do I, how do I overcome evil? How do I overcome evil? And this is really the point of this message. How do I overcome all this evil? With love. How did, how did Jesus overcome the evil of the world? How did Jesus overcome your evil? By dying for you on the cross. So that's how we live. That's how we live. So three things uh, take away. Number one, leave justice with God. Leave justice with God. And to the civil courts, work within those, exercise your, your freedoms as a citizen to do that. There's nothing wrong with working within that system. But don't take matters into your own hands civilly. Secondly, don't take things personally. Now, I know that's easy to say. <laughs> what do you mean don't take it personally? It's, this isn't all about you. And when you take things personally, your world becomes very, very small. God is doing much bigger things with a lot more people. You're part of that working for good. And then my last point, live as he lived, love as he loved. That is an authentic Christianity. You know what? If it's tit for tat, you did me, I'm going to do you. You hurt me, you said this, I'm going to say that back to you. You took this from me, I'm going to take that back from you. We're just like the rest of the world. We are children of a heavenly father. We are marked by love. We're not wimps. We're not pacifists. We're not against the law. We're not throwing the law out. But when it comes personally, we live as he lived. And that's going to be tested, (laughs) folks. It gets tested again and again and again. And my prayer is that we, members of this church, of this family here, would be that difference in our community and difference in our society. That we would love See, and the thing is, Jesus is asking you to love the same way he loved you. So it's kind of hard to say no. (laughs) But it starts here. Of having that heart surrendered, having the right perspective of what he's doing in your life. You know what? I had uh, all these listed. I've got my own personal stories on all of them. You do too. It's not easy. So I thought...
if you let me conclude this way, I'd like to just pray for all of us as we work through these things because they're not easy teachings. They're pretty radical. But when we follow them, the joy that it brings not only to us but to the rest of the people around is amazing. Let's bow together as we pray. Lord, there are many here in this place who have been falsely accused. They have been mocked. They've been cheated. They've been inconvenienced. They've been wronged. They've been hurt. They've been abandoned. And the natural tendency is for us to well up with anger and a desire to get back. But Lord, I pray you'd heal our hearts from that. To realize that you are just, you'll let nothing slide, nothing will get away, you've got everything covered, but help us to live like you lived. Help us to see that our dignity and our self-worth is in Jesus. That That our security is being your children. That our liberty is that we have eternal life. And when it comes to personal property, Lord, it's just passing through. We have a home in heaven forever of riches beyond our comprehension. So help us to keep that perspective and help us to realize you are doing a much greater work to redeem every soul in this city and in this world with a gift of salvation. Lord, help us to be uniquely Christian, authentic Christians, walking as you walked, living as you've lived. Father, for every pain, every sorrow, every hurt, every betrayal, every injustice, we put into your care. And give us grace and forgiveness and healing and joy in our lives today. We worship you, Lord. We lift up your name in praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name.